All right. Well, good morning. Great to see you. So the way we're, I say good morning, and then you say good morning back. So good morning. Awesome. You guys look great. Hey, I'm Glenn Barnes, uh, lead pastor here, and thrilled just to be um, together with you. Let's go ahead and dismiss kids to children's church. So grade six and down, we've got a special program for you, and you are on your way. I love this Sunday. I love, uh, I love not only having the kindergartners uh, light the Advent candle. That's so great. But this is always a fun um, Sunday to look around. We've got a lot of our college students that are back in town, and so uh, fun just to be together um, as a family. I hope you and yours had a great Thanksgiving and are ready um, to turn the corner towards, uh, toward Christmas. So, hey, before we jump into this morning's message, our first in our Advent season, um, I wanted to take a little time for kind of some important um, First Baptist uh, housekeeping church business, um, because if you have been around the church, you know that every year at this time, we participate in what we call the Advent Conspiracy. The idea behind the Advent Conspiracy, we started doing it over 12 years ago. The idea idea behind this Advent conspiracy is to kind of conspire against the commercialism of Christmas. So it's not that we're opposed to the presents and the lights and the trees and all those things, but we say that's not all that Christmas is about. And so one way that we conspire against the commercialism of Christmas is to try to be extraordinarily generous beyond ourselves. So for every year, for the last 12 years, we've chosen a different project or need around the world. And over the last 12 years, um, you have given over $600,000 to do all kinds of things, from bringing clean water to a village that never had clean water before, to helping build a school in India or a Bible college in Africa. We've helped um, uh, Syrian refugees and those uh, persecuted Christians. You've uh, helped uh, people caught in in human trafficking, all kinds of things um, over these last 12 years. And so this year, I am really excited to announce the project that we have chosen, which is a super important one, and it's focused right here in our community. Uh, This year's Advent Conspiracy Project is going to be called Real Hope. And the idea is to shine the light of hope into what you really could call a mental health crisis throughout our community, but especially for our young people. So we're really targeting um, teenagers um, and students and uh, making a difference in uh, issues related to mental health. You know, this has always been an important issue. If you've had this in your life or your family, you know what a big deal it is. Um, but then recently, as we've come through this, this season, it just seems like the, the burner has been turned up on these issues. And so we see all kinds of, of students uh, struggling with everything from anxiety and depression to suicide, uh, suicidal uh, ideation, those kinds of things, um, all sorts of things. And we said we need to do what Christians are called to do, which is when there's a struggle or when there's darkness, we want to step in with the light of Christ. And so that's what Advent Conspiracy is about this year. Um, It's going to be a little different. We're partnering with a few different organizations, and our church is actually going to step up our engagement as well. So three organizations that we're going to be partnering with, or three ways that we're going to kind of go after this um, issue, is we want to focus on some of the physical and social uh, struggles that our teenagers are facing. One simple thing we're going to do for this is we're partnering with Fellowship of Christian Athletes to put on what we call some Friday Night Lights events, sports themes, mostly basketball-themed 
programs where people can come, get that outlet to just have fun, that physical activity, and then have some uh, messages and some things related to uh, mental and spiritual health. So we're excited to partner with them. We're also going to be partnering with 180 Counseling, which really is the premier counseling organization um, for young people, not just in Lodi, but really in our region. And so they are, are deeply involved in these issues already. So we want to come alongside and say, how can we help you? Um, and so there's a couple things that we're going to do. We're going to work with them for some training events. So we're going to offer training for adults, um, parents, guardians, teachers, youth workers, coaches, all those kind of things, some, some training for adults. We're also going to offer training to anyone that will have us in this area for our students. So every youth group in town, any organization that, uh, that has youth, we're putting together a curriculum that will be available for them to know how to identify and deal with some of these mental health issues. On that same track, there'll also be a student leader track that will train those students that say, hey, I want to I want to step up even a little bit more. And they become almost kind of that first responders uh, group from identifying needs with their, uh, their friends and those kind of things. So uh, training and education. There'll also even be some next level training for people that either want to become lay counselors or maybe even want to begin to get some college credit. Um, we'll be working with not only 180 Counseling, but different counselors and mental health resources in our area. So physical, social, training and education. The third area that we're going to focus on is a, a partnership with 180, who right now, if you, um, as I said, are, are doing a lot of counseling in this area, but if you're, let's just say your student is having a hard time, and you call and say, I'd like to get an appointment for you know, my student, um, they would say, great, we'll put them on a waiting list and they're four to six weeks out, um, usually more like six weeks out. And if you're in the heat of a crisis, six weeks doesn't work. That's not okay. And so one of the biggest issues that they face is counseling space. And so we are going to partner with some funds that they already have had come in um, to help find some long-term counseling space. Right now they have the, the house next door to the 118 Center, the Dan Brown House, is a great resource, but it's really just one counseling room. So we need more counseling spaces. And so our offering is going to go to help with those three things. I'm going to tell you one other thing, but before we do that, I want to give you just a little look um, so you can meet one of the people that we're going to partner with through fellow of Christian Athletes. We just sat down and uh, had a little well, hey, conversation with We're really with excited him. to begin introducing the 2021 Advent Conspiracy Project to you. Um, this year, our project is called Real Hope, and our goal is to be shining the light of hope on uh, the mental health crisis that is in our community, especially as it relates uh, to young people. And so we're going to be partnering with a few different organizations um, here in town to do that. And one of the ones we're really excited to work with is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, and uh, Alex Edford is a, not only a pastor here in town, uh, but works with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so tell us a little bit about what we're going to be uh, looking forward to. Yeah. So being involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we've really seen getting back on campuses after this year and a half long pandemic. We just really noticed that this was a real need for our next generation. Uh, they've been battling fear, loss, mm. anxiety, uh, just depression, right. these, these unseen battles that they're facing. And so we really want to give them a space where they can process the battles that they're going through, but also in a way that brings the gospel into those, those moments. So that's why we are really excited to partner here with First Baptist in putting on this three-on-three -three basketball tournament. We just really believe that sports is such a good vehicle uh, to address the mental health issues that young people are facing. Yeah. 
And so our first one will be on December 10th, right here in this gym. And we look forward to really uh, seeing where this goes in, in terms of a more long-term approach and a more sustained effort in 2022. Awesome. So working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes to do something like basketball tournaments for high school students not only brings the physical element into it, which is so important to, to get away from that isolation, to get out, do something physical, but also can begin to, to bring in that spiritual and have those conversations. And yes. so we are so excited um, that this is one piece uh, that we uh, want to put together as we address this need in our community. We're thrilled to partner with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Encourage you to stop by the Advent Conspiracy table uh, today to see how you can make a difference in the lives of young people right here in our community. All right, so that's a long-term relationship that we'll have with FCA. Um, and their first event is going to be uh, December 10th. And so high school students, we're going to start with like a three-on-three basketball night, um, which will be really fun. Well, hey, we need to jump into this morning's message. But before we do that, I have one um, just really, I think, kind of fun and exciting uh, thing to add to the Advent Conspiracy. Um, so you maybe noticed when you came in, there's a table that's set up that's got some information on the different organizations um, we're partnering with, including the Child Abuse Prevention Council. Um, um, uh, but also you can stop by there and give a donation. You can give online at fbclodi.org. But we have already had someone come forward who believes in this mission so much that they donated the first $50,000 to this project. And so whatever you give, up to Fitz, worth applauding for. Uh, whatever you give up to $50,000, what the rest of us can give, that will be really matched. And so we're excited uh, to see some great things happen um, on this issue. So you'll be hearing about it all month, but I wanted to take time to give you a little overview on it. All right, you guys ready to change gears? Grab your Bible, grab your message notes. We want to jump into our first uh, message of the Advent uh, season. We believe in real hope. We believe in real hope. You know, every once in a while, I don't know about for you, but uh, you come across like a phrase or a saying that just seems to capture an idea so so much that it, that it kind of sticks with you. To me, C.S. Lewis is, is, you know, kind of the king of, of these kind of little phrases. And C.S. Lewis offers us one of these phrases in his classic little children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So if you know The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that there's these four children that step through through this magical wardrobe, and they find themselves in this fantasy land of Narnia. And when they arrive in Narnia, they find that this is a place that is covered with winter. In fact, they're deep in the dark and the cold of what seems like a never-ending winter season. Uh, they soon discover it's because they're under the spell of this white witch who's, who's brought this darkness um, over the land. And, and one of the creatures that they meet, his name is Mr. Tumnus. And Mr. Tumnus describes the situation in Narnia like this. He says, it's winter in Narnia and it has been for ever so long. And then he says this. He says, it's always winter, but never Christmas. It's always winter, but never Christmas. And to me, that phrase is such a powerful one because to me, it describes what hopelessness can feel like. When you feel hopeless, you feel like things are bad. Things are dark. Things are cold. And there doesn't seem like there's any good news or anything positive coming anytime. And I hate to say it, but that seems to pretty much describe the mood of our world these days. Hopelessness. In fact, some of you may have come in this morning feeling that sense of dread and hopelessness. 
You see, pretty much every expert will tell you that this idea, this spirit of hopelessness is really at an all-time high in our world. You just look around, there's all kinds of symptoms of this hopelessness. I just jotted down a few of them. You see it with so many people losing motivation, whether it's motivation for their job or for school or or just kind of withdrawing to, to be isolated. They've just lost motivation. We see this hopelessness with now over 100,000 overdose deaths in the last 12 months, the most ever in the history of the United States. We see more and more people that are consumed by anxiety and depression and many other different kinds of mental illness or struggles. In fact, one in four adults struggles with some sort of of mental struggle or mental illness. And do you know that twice as many people are diagnosed these days for either anxiety or depression than are diagnosed for diabetes these days? That's how prevalent this issue is. If you can imagine uh, one person commits suicide in the United States every 20 minutes. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for people between the age of 15 and 24. And as I hear that, I also think about for every person that actually succeeds in taking their life, think about how many others attempt it or how many others think about it and obsess about it. When overcome with what I would call a demonic darkness, it feels like there's no hope. It feels like it's always winter and nothing good is coming. It's always winter, but never Christmas. And that's the hopelessness, and that's what hopelessness does. And I really believe that it's one of the tools that the devil uses more than any to steal that hope away from us and, and take that away. But even if you're not the kind that's overwhelmed by hope, maybe you hear these statistics and you're kind of moved by them, but you think that's not exactly me, um, still all of us could use a little infusion of hope these days. There's a book by Pastor Ray Johnston up in um, Sacramento. He wrote a book called The Hope Quotient. And he argues that just like a person's IQ or their EQ, you know, their intelligence quotient or their emotional quotient, those things can be um, kind of predictors of a person's success in different areas of life. He says maybe the most important indicator of a person's happiness and peace and joy is what he calls, is not IQ or EQ, but their HQ. How much hope do they have and how much hope are they living with? In fact, studies show that time and time again that people who live with the spirit of hopefulness are more productive. They are less affected by stress. People that live with hope tend to be more compassionate and and can focus on other people more. They're easier to get along with. They're even physically more healthy. And if you think about it, you'd much rather be around someone who's got that spirit of hope than that spirit of hopelessness. But you think, okay, that's great, preacher boy, but how do you get there, right? How do you get to that point? Well, what I want us to see today is that there's actually a theme that runs throughout the Scripture that helps sustain God's people in times like this. When people find their backs against the wall, there is kind of an attitude that we see throughout the Old and the New Testament that always reminds people that they can have hope. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. We're actually going to look at it from Isaiah chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah, where we find this prophecy about the Messiah that is to come, and it'll kind of show us this theme that I was talking about. But before we do that, first of all, let me just say a little bit about Advent itself. Um, So you've heard us say several times we are in the Advent season, these four weeks leading up to Christmas. Advent literally just means arrival. 
So when we talk about Advent, it means not only the first arrival of Christ when he became a baby in Bethlehem and was born, that's the first Advent, but we also see that Advent traditionally uh, refers to a second arrival when Christ would come not as a baby in Bethlehem, but as a mighty king to once and for all make all things right. And so Advent refers to both the first and the second Advent. And these promises of arrival, of God breaking into history, you find them throughout the the scripture. You don't just find them in the Christmas stories, but all around you see this hope that comes from the idea that God is coming, that God's arrival is near, that it may feel like it's winter, it's cold and dark, but there is a hope that is coming. In fact, it's been said that it's no accident that the Advent season comes at this time of the year when the calendar, when it's the darkest, right? These are the longest nights and the shortest days. But if there's one theme of Advent, it is this. This darkness will not last. It may feel dark, but this darkness will not last. And so you can live with this sense of anticipation. And the real hope of Advent is not the presence and the trees and the lights, as great as those are. But the real hope of Advent is the arrival of Jesus Christ breaking into history and breaking into your life and breaking into my life. And that, you guys, can bring us hope even when things seem dark. So as I mentioned, one of these places we find this is in Isaiah chapter 11. Fascinating passage. I invite you to follow along. I'll read it. It'll be up on the screen. I also encourage you to take a look in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Hmm. From the roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding and the spirit of counsel and of might and the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight, this coming Messiah, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and the young will lie down together with the lion and we will eat uh, and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy hill for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Well, I just find that whole passage fascinating, and let's talk about it um, here. But before we kind of jump into the heart of what Isaiah says, you need to understand a little bit about the context, specifically the time that Isaiah first spoke these words on the behalf of the Lord. Because he wrote these words around 600 BC, which if you know your history, was literally one of the darkest times in all of the nation of Israel's history. So remember, we just studied the life of Solomon after kind of the high point 
in Solomon's life, uh, along comes uh, Solomon's kids, and there's actually a civil war, and the nation is divided into two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already, by 600 BC, has already been invaded by the Assyrians. They come in, they wipe the place out, they take the people um, into captivity. And so those are the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom. The two tribes in the southern kingdom, Judah, including the city of Jerusalem and the temple, now they are just about under siege. The, the, the fierce Babylonian army has been marching across the land and now they are right there at the doorsteps of Jerusalem. We know that before long they're going to come in and, and destroy Jerusalem. Even the temple will be destroyed and the people will be carried off into captivity. There's also just this real lack of leadership. They need a strong king. They need someone who's godly. They need someone who's wise. They need someone who's strong. But instead, what they get time and time again are these, these, these weak kings who just can't seem to lead the nation. There's also just kind of this spirit of sin and, and moral decline. It's a time when people should look around and see all the problems, and it's, those, those things are meant to turn us to the Lord and say, oh, it's our time to come back to the Lord. But instead, what you see is this, this sin and moral decline, and, and actually the people are drifting farther and farther away from God and farther and farther towards idolatry. And so what message does God speak into a time like that? And what message does God speak into a time like this? What is it that allows God's people to find sustaining hope? Well, as I mentioned, history will show you whenever God's people find their backs up against the wall, you can always, almost always find this message coming. And we see it in the book of Isaiah, starting with this deep conviction that God is with you and he has a plan. That's the starting point of where you find your hope, that God is with you and he has a plan. Maybe you've heard before that the most common promise in the Bible is not, I'm going to make your life easy, as much as we would want it to be. The most common prof- promise of the Bible is not, I'm going to prosper you or, or make your, your life happy. We like those things to be true. But the most common promise in the Bible is actually, I will be with you. It's not I'll change your circumstances, but it's that whatever circumstances you go through, God will be with you. And that's the promise. God is with us. We see this promised in the book of Isaiah. You know this passage from chapter 7 where it says, A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And what will they call him? Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. That's the problem. Or not the problem, the promise. Not the problem. That's the promise. Erase that in your notes and put in promise. In chapter 9, he says it like this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the promise is that God will be with you, that God is with us. And not only is God with us, because then you get to chapter 11, and you see this one that's coming that's going to be God with us has a plan and is working this plan. And and chapter uh, 11 reminds us that those living in dark times uh, can trust that God sees them them, and God has not forgotten them. And here's the thing. If you can hold on to this idea that not only is God with you, but God is alive and active in your life and he's got a plan, man, will that help you in those dark times? Because no matter what you face, you think, well, God has got me. But the problem is, it's so easy to lose track of that because you look around at all the problems and you think, bah, God doesn't have a plan. God's not even here. 
And so not only do we lose sight of God, but we lose hope at the very same time. But this passage teaches us a lot about God's plans that are important for us to know. I want to just draw out a couple of these things. Starting with God's plan for the world and God's plan for your life and my life is almost always going to arrive in a surprising way. It's just going to be surprising when you look back and see what God's plan is. In fact, I love verse 1 of chapter 11. It says this. Here's God's plan. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And if you think that through, nobody sees this coming. Because a stump doesn't represent a plan. A stump doesn't even represent the future. A stump represents the past. A stump doesn't represent something that's alive. It represents something that's dead. Most of us see a stump and we think, oh, I wonder what that used to be like, right? And we look at the circumstances in our life and a lot of times what we see is a stump. God looks at the circumstances of our life and he sees something good that he could bring out of even a stump. God's plan is this surprising thing that out of the stump of Jesse, will come this one that is promised to be God with us. So he comes in surprising ways, but it also comes at surprising times. We kind of already talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were studying the life of Solomon because Jesse, of course, is the father of King David. King David is the father of Solomon. And most people hear these things about there being a king coming from the the line of Jesse and they think, well, it's going to be David or it's going to be Solomon, or maybe one of these other kings, because after all, they're the bravest, and they're the wisest, and they're the you know, most successful. And so you also think that the king is going to come from the palace. But instead, the surprise is the king doesn't come from the palace, and the king isn't born to a king and a queen. But this rightful king, this surprising king, is actually born where? In a manger. And not to a king and a queen, to a father who's a blue-collar worker, and to a mother who's a virgin. And it's not that God didn't have a plan and was working it. It was an awesome plan, but it's surprising. In fact, as surprising as that is, maybe what's even more surprising is when Isaiah says these words, it is still 600 years before it will come about. They have to go through all kinds of trial and struggle before this even comes. But Isaiah writes and he says, don't forget, God is with you. Hold on. Hold on. You can, you can do this. You can, you can have this sense of anticipation that God is with you and he has a plan. So it often comes in surprising times and, and in surprising ways. In fact, in my experience, and maybe yours too, God's plans are usually just slow to unfold. Would you agree with that? God's, God's plans just seem slow to unfold. For me, I always want them right away. I want to see what's next. But God's plans often come slow. But the, the reality is he's never forgotten. He's just working on his time. In fact, maybe the, the, the most popular God has a plan verse of all time, maybe you've got a coffee mug with this or a wall hanging. We have a wall hanging in our house with this. Or maybe you've got a t-shirt or something like that. It says Jeremiah 29.11. You guys know Jeremiah 29.11? It's up on the screen. It says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you need to know that every word of that is true. God does see you and God does have plans for your life and for uh, this world. 
But a lot of times we like to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, and if you only quote one verse and you don't see what comes before it or, or after it, you kind of miss things. And so you can't forget not only Jeremiah 11, but Jeremiah 29, 10, which says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So the promise is I'll prosper you and it's 70 years away. But you can hold on to it because God is active and he sees you and he's got you, even if the plan is not in our timing. And then we think, well, God's just going to kind of magically work all these circumstances together. But if you look at Jeremiah 29, 12, what comes right after it, you see that it actually happens when you call on me and you reach out to me and you seek me with all your heart. Then God's plan will be revealed. You know, for us, God's plan is usually about, I get what I want. It's comfortable, it's easy, it's prosperous, it's fun. And I'm not saying sometimes those things don't happen. But what I'm saying is this, is God is far more concerned with making me holy and making me like his son than he is with making me happy, right? God's more concerned with with my character and God's more concerned with your character and who you're becoming than he is with your comfort. And so God's got a plan. And God is with us, but it comes in these surprising ways. Second thing we say is we just kind of keep working our way through this passage is that God's plan is going to be rooted in God's perfect wisdom. So just like it comes in surprising ways, it comes with kind of a surprising kind of wisdom. It's not always human wisdom uh, that we see. If you look at verse 2, it says this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, this Messiah, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. So one of the things that would set this coming Messiah apart from all the pretenders is how strongly it is the fear of the Lord, not the fear of men that motivate him. Most of us are are motivated by the the fear of, of people, right? But this one who comes is going to be motivated first and foremost by the fear of the Lord and his wisdom and his counsel and his judgment. What does it say? He says are not going to be obvious to everybody. He's going to judge on what is what? Unseen, right? Even the things that, that, that we can't see, those are the things that God is going to judge on, right? And of course, we want to, we can only see with what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch with our, our hands, but this Messiah is going to see so much more and his plan is so much more. I think about like when my kids were, were little and, you know, they would have some idea or something that they wanted to do. And as a parent, you never want to squash those plans. But you also are thinking, oh, I see so much more than you do. I see how this is really going to turn out. And I see these problems and these things. And, and I see just so much more. Because as a parent, you see things that kids don't see with their eyes. And you take our relationship with God and you multiply that times a gazillion, and that's the way that God sees our life. He knows so much more. And so when the Messiah comes, he's not going to judge by these outward things that are motivated by the fear of men, but they're going to be motivated by the fear of God. In fact, this is a huge reminder, and I think especially in kind of these dark and difficult times that we live in, this is a huge reminder that there is a lot going on that we cannot see. We live in an earthly world, in a physical world, but there is also a spiritual world. 
that Jesus sees, even when we don't see it. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, you're in a war, but he says this, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against the evil spirits of this heavenly place. There's more than we see, and God's plan sees it all. And so you can trust him. You can trust that he's got you. Now, most of these things that we're talking about are fulfilled when Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem at the first advent. But what you see is that ultimately these things will be fulfilled at the second coming, at the second advent. In fact, Tim Keller writes about this passage and he says it like this. He says, once you get to this point, he says, this is where Isaiah's hope just bursts the banks because he starts to describe God's plan for this Messiah that one day would make all things right. You see, Jesus didn't come to just make your life a little better or to make this world a little better. Jesus came to make all things new and to restore what is broken and to bring new life. Not just tweak things a little bit, but to make it new. And one day, one day when he comes again, we await for his arrival. Because at that time when it's arrival, one day all things will be made right And so we've got to hold on and we've got to anticipate and we've got to look for that. Isaiah just kind of walks us through a a number of these things. I'll just go through them real quick. First of all, when God's plan will one day make all things right, there will be an ultimate end to injustice, right? Verses four, five, and six describe how once and for all, there will be justice for the poor and the oppressed, those who have lost hope here on earth. Those who can't get a break, there will be justice for those even when they can't see it. There will also be an ultimate end to conflict. There'll be an ultimate end to conflict. And I can't wait for this. Here in this passage, Isaiah is painting kind of this poetic picture. And so there's this whole number of verses where he talks about all the different animals that'll be side by side. And he talks about lions and goats and cows and bears and leopards. And they're all just kind of like chilling out and living at peace together. And you think, well, a lot of those are natural enemies. They actually eat each other. So how could that be? How could that be? Well, he's saying one day there's going to be an ultimate end to conflict. Even in the animal world, you're going to see people getting along. It kind of, our animals getting along. It kind of reminds me of, have you ever seen some of these unlikely picture, unlikely friendship pictures? Um, Like, take a look at this guy right here. That is Bubbles the African elephant and Bella the black Labrador, and they are best friends. Can you not see that? Don't they just love each other? Or what about Fred, uh, the blonde lab, and Dennis the bulldog? Or Dennis, I'm sorry, Dennis the duckling. Dennis the duckling. Fred looks a little annoyed to me, but still, that's surprising. How about this one? Milo the dachshund and Bone Digger the lion. That is a brave little wiener dog right there. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, come on. Or what about Anja the chimpanzee who helps take care of these little tiger cubs? And right, you look at these things and it moves your heart because look at that. They're getting along with each other and there's no conflict. And Isaiah is giving us this poetic picture that one day all this conflict that we feel and we live in will be done away with. But here's the thing. It's not just the animals getting along with each other. Let me share one more scripture with you. It's not in your notes, little bonus, no extra charge. Um, Isaiah 19.23 says this. I think we have it up on the screen. It says, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. And the Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. 
Well, if you know anything about that, you think that will never happen. These are sworn enemies of each other. They hate each other. They're always at conflict. But one day, one day when the Messiah comes and all things are made right, even these sworn enemies will not only live at peace with each other, but they will worship together. And do you know what that is? That is a picture of what we see in the book of Revelation chapter 7, where you have people from every nation gathered around the throne of the Messiah King, who at his second arrival makes all things right. You see, for us now, it feels like it's winter and God, Christmas is never going to come. But it may feel like winter, but Christmas is coming. God is on his way. God will arrive and it brings us hope into even the darkest times. Last one is not only does it bring an ultimate end to conflict, but it brings an ultimate end to pain. It says the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. And you think, what in the world is this child doing putting its hand in the cobra's den or in the viper's nest? Well, Isaiah, again, poetically is describing there will come a day when there's no more pain and there's no more suffering in that way. And that pain won't come from a child in a viper's nest or being stung by a viper or bit by a viper, nor will it come from a virus, because there will be an ultimate end to pain. Max Lucado famously says it like this. He says, one day, no more aspirin, no more chemo, no more wheelchairs, no more divorce, no more jail, no more broken hearts. He will make all things new. And why will that happen? Because in the day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people and the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. One day, people that have rejected Christ, right? One day that will all be gone and nations will rally around him. We long for that day because it feels like winter now, but Christmas is coming. And so in the middle of some of the darkest times in Israel's history, Isaiah just gives them this manifesto of hope, right? Why? Because everything is going to work out and it's going to go great? No. They still had suffering ahead. They still had trial and, and even um, exile. But just like God was working his plan then, God is working his plan now in your life and mine. And one day, his plan will make all things right. In fact, as we kind of wrap up here today, let me just kind of give you a, a, a little something to think about this Christmas time. Because... Um, uh, a little secret to kind of be on the lookout for because at Christmas time, of course, there's a lot of songs that go with it, a lot of Christmas carols. And most of the carols are about his first arrival, Jesus being born in Bethlehem or a silent night or some of those kind of things. But one of the themes that you see if you really start to look in a lot of these Christmas carols is they're not just about Jesus's first coming, but they also anticipate his second coming. And I just encourage you to just kind of open your eyes this Christmas and see how many of these songs point us to something that is still to come. Like even in Joy to the World where it says this. It says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Right? And that speaks of, of one day there being an end to all of the, the sin and all of the, the suffering and all of the thorns that infest the ground as far as the curse is, which is worldwide. And that is still to come. 
Another one, and kind of the one I wanted to share with you today is, is I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Um, it's actually written by a guy by the name of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And Longfellow, when he wrote the words to I Heard the Bell on Christmas Day, was actually going through an extraordinary time of grief. Uh, not long before he wrote these words, his wife um, was killed in a, a house fire. And so not only did they lose their, their home, but he lost his wife in this fire. So, of course, you could imagine the difficulty of that. A little before that, uh, Longfellow's son, against his wishes, um, decided that he was going to join the Union Army. And so his dad begged him not to do it, but his son said, I need to do it. And he goes and he joins the Union Army to fight in the Civil War. And he ends up coming back terribly injured, uh, disfigured for um, the rest of his life. And yet in that deep deep grief, um, Longfellow writes this poem, and it goes like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. The mild and sweet, their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But then he kind of reveals some of what he's going through and he says this, but in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But notice this change. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And you see that is a promise not of the first arrival of Christ, but the second arrival that gives him a deep hope to face even the despair that he was in. And that is our hope as well. God is not dead and he does not sleep. He is alive and he is well. And he sees you and he knows you and he's got you. You may be in a season where it feels like winter, but Christmas is coming. The main idea of all of this is it gets better. So hang on, have hope, draw close to him. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for these ancient words that have brought hope really for generations. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to them and they bring us hope because they remind us that you are good and that you are in control. And so, Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, because some of us are facing difficult and dark times and it feels like there's no end, there's no way out. It feels like life is just a stump. And yet we know that you bring beautiful things out of even a stump. And so, Father, I pray for each one that you would come alongside, give them the wisdom and the strength and the grace to face all that you have for them. We love you and we thank you for these promises. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Save us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.